This is Grace Talks, a production of Simpson United Methodist Church in Bangor, Michigan. Our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 38. Love for enemies. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. wasn't bad. She was just <laughs> angry. <laughs> <laughs> now I got to work that into the sermon. <laughs> May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, God our Lord and Savior. Amen. So when it came time to prepare for this year's sermons or sermon series, I had one idea come to mind. Something that I've seen work in other churches and something that I believe Pastor Mona did here at one time or another. And that is a movie series. Which I know I'm really breaking the mold here. After all, it's not like I just did a five-part series on A Christmas Carol. But this time I wanted to talk about something that's a little more contemporary, a little more relevant to what we might know. And so if we're a kid, if we're a parent, if we're a grandparent, we've probably seen at least most of the movies that we'll be talking about in this series, especially as they're the, well, three of them are the big Disney movies that make a billion dollars every year. And they're probably ones that we are all at least a little bit familiar with. If not, you can find them pretty easy in one place or another and watch them. 
So the movies that I'm going to be going over for the next few weeks are quite honestly some of my favorite movies from the past decade, and I'm excited to get to talk to them. And yes, some of my favorite movies are mostly animated movies. So what we get to do for the next four weeks is we get to look at these four movies and see some of the lessons that are present of them. And today we're digging into Moana, which means that I have to give the most basic description of this movie ever and say that this film begins with the Polynesian trickster demigod Maui stealing the heart of Tefiti in an, in an attempt we learn later to get humans to love him more. But because he steals the heart, he awakens a curse upon the ocean, and he loses his, ma he loses his magic fish hook when Taka, an awoken volcano spirit, attacks him. A thousand years pass, and a young girl, Moana, is chosen by the ocean to receive the heart of Tefiti and return it, to return it so that she can break the curse. And so Moana ventures with Maui, and after meeting everything from coconut leprechauns to David Bowie the crab, they arrive at the place where the heart has been stolen from. But surprise, and spoiler alert, the spirit, the fire spirit Taka, is actually Tefiti. And it's only because she's lost her heart that she has been reduced from goddess of life and creation to spirit of wrath and destruction. And here in the end, it is only Moana who is able to see Taka for what she is. And so rather than a great and dramatic fight scene to the death, as we've grown accustomed to in so many of these movies, instead Moana walks to Taka and returns the heart where it belongs. And in so doing, she brings about healing and restoration to the ocean and a new opportunity for her people to reclaim their identity as wayfarers and voyagers once again. There's so many themes that I could go over with this movie that honestly I could, if I wanted to, just do an entire sermon series on Moana, but we're not going to do that. And so the theme that jumped out the most and the one that linked up the most with one of the scripture passages for this season was the relationship between Moana and the one that she would believe to be her enemy, Taka. This, this movie, I think, marks perhaps the most clear moment we are at with our movies, especially our animated movies, where we're shifting from the traditional good, good guy beats bad guy instead to movies where there isn't actually a villain. Movies where the villain, we realize, isn't truly a villain at all, or in other words, Taka wasn't bad, she was just angry. Instead of it being a villain in their own right, instead it's someone who is affected by their own trauma and who needs to find redemption themselves. It's a shift that brings our entertainment closer to reality because so often when we look at the state of the world, the state of relationships between people, the state of the relationships in our own lives, what we realize is that rarely, if ever, are there real villains in the movie sense. There aren't Dark Lord Saurons, there aren't Emperor Palpatines, there's no Lord Voldemorts who wield the aesthetics of death and dress in all black so you know they're the bad guy so that they can spread evil across the land. 
No, there are very real people with very different desires and very different motivations. And these desires and motivations cause far more conflict than any Dark Lord of the Sith ever could. The truth is that it is far more even that it is far more common that evil will be banal than it will be scary and exciting. It is far more common that evil will be boring than it will be exciting. Real evil is more like the Secretary of State and less the Evil League of Eagle, Evil. I hope there's no Secretary of State workers in here. <laughs> That's not a direct attack on anyone here, just so we know. Real evil is bureaucracy. Real evil is the loss of humanity and life in favor of mechanization and law. And that's exactly what we see with Taka in this movie. Tafiti loses her heart, and because she loses her heart, she loses her humanity. She loses sight of who she is. And because she loses her identity, she becomes this force of destruction. Also worth noting in this movie, worth mentioning in this movie, is what we might call generational sin or generational trauma. Tafiti lost her heart a thousand years ago, the movie tells us. So often, when it comes to the questions of reconciliation, repentance, reparations, whatever it might be, instead of focusing on the question of how can we help, how can we make this better, instead the focus becomes, that was so long ago. That's in the past. That's over and done with. Why don't you move on? Aren't you supposed to forgive? But the thing about forgiveness is that it's kind of a two-way street. Forgiveness often requires something, so to speak. It requires at least the setting down of anger. It requires reconciliation, repentance, reparation. Tafiti undeniably has been wronged at the beginning of this movie. And while she could forgive, I suppose, it's not until things are made right that she is able to do so. It's not until Maui returns with Moana and the heart is returned that Tafiti is able to be returned to who she was and find forgiveness for Maui's actions. It's not until Maui makes right what has been made wrong that she enters into this state where she's willing to forgive him. It's not until this happens that she's able to let go of her anger and wrath and return as Tafiti. And it's not, and it's only when she returns as Tafiti that she's able to hear Maui's apology and in turn give him a new magic fish hook. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a central difficulty and a central difference between fiction and reality, though. We don't really have magic hearts of Tafiti that we can plug and play into all of the problems in the world to make them better. I wish we did. We can't just replace the heart and expect everything to wrap up perfectly in a 90-minute runtime. Because reality is more than that. The story of Tafiti, her anger and wrath, can be easily solved in this movie by just putting the heart back and 
making everything right. But in reality, the harms that are done take a little bit more to fix. Things aren't so easy. Some time ago, I got into a disagreement with someone online, and as these things go, we found ourselves becoming more and more embroiled in an argument where we were unable to hear one another. And so at one point, the person I was arguing with began to share a very personal story, and out of ignorance, and because I was so caught up in the argument, I read only the first sentence, which I saw as being very condescending. And so I brushed him off, and I didn't realize the pain that he was expressing. Obviously, he took this very well. <laughs> he didn't. <laughs> but after realizing what I'd done and stepping away for a time, I returned and apologized for what I'd said because I realized that I was completely in the wrong. And it was only after, real, after reading it that I realized how deeply in the wrong I was. But here's the thing. He rejected my apology. And we ended up going our separate ways. Maybe he'll forgive me at some point. Maybe we can find reconciliation or at least indifference at some point, but in the end, I can't expect that of him. I can't demand him to forgive me. Forgiveness is on his part, and it's not something that I can demand. I can't just replace the heart of Tefiti and make it better as much as I would like to. I messed up, I goofed up, and because of that goof up, I ended up causing harm to someone that I don't even know. How many of the divisions in life are the result of ignorance or misunderstanding? How many are the results of someone not taking the time to consider what their actions will do? I lost the opportunity to reconcile with this person, but from it I learned something about interacting with people in the future, and I guess from that came something beneficial, but wasn't that a lesson I could have learned without the harm. Sometimes to forgive means we have to, or sometimes to find forgiveness, it means that we have to reconcile. It means that we have to make things right. It means that we have to restore the proverbial heart of Tefiti, or however many hearts there might need to be replaced. Maui, in an act of ignorance, does this incredible act of harm, and in the same, in because he does this thing, the many people must pay for it. For a thousand years, the many people of Moana's tribes and presumably other tribes across this ocean face the punishment because of his action, and it takes the action of someone else to make it right. And again, there's more of a lesson about generational sin and trauma because how many conflicts in our world, how many conflicts in our own lives are the products of things that we ourselves weren't even a part of? How many issues are there in our world that need someone who didn't even cause the initial harm to contribute to make it right? 
I know the question of racial reconciliation in this country especially comes to mind, as does the suffering of the poor in our world. We are embroiled in these vast conflicts that we are not the cause of. And yet sometimes we have to be the ones to work towards making it right. We have to be the ones who work to restore the heart, even if we weren't the ones who took the heart in the first place. So there's this common idea in sociology and in politics that is best described as the cycle of violence. I imagine we're familiar with that idea. The idea is that there is this sort of metaphorical wheel that is constantly turning where someone does one thing and in turn someone else retaliates and then they retaliate for that and back and forth forever. Think of the Hatfields and the McCoys, for instance where at some point the disagreement is so far in the past, the initial disagreement is so far in the past that we don't even know why we're fighting. But the thing about this wheel, this thing about this cycle of violence is that the cycle of violence will never bring justice. It will never bring peace. It will never bring reconciliation. It will never bring healing. It can only ever stop turning if someone finally drives a peg between the spikes, between the spokes, and grinds the wheel to a halt. In our Christian tradition, we already have someone who, ha who we hold has driven that peg in and has stopped the wheel of violence. In Ephesians 2, we learn of Christ's act of reconciliation. When Christ put to death the enmity that exists between us, when Christ ended the enmity, the divisions that we hold, and broke the cycle of violence. And isn't that who we're called to emulate? Isn't it Jesus who we are called to imitate? We're called to embody the Holy Spirit, the one that calls us to drive our to drive our own pegs into our own cycles of violence and break down the dividing walls of hostility. Moana is only able to bring restoration to Taka by seeing her for who she is, by loving her despite herself, by loving her enemy. And in the end, what Moana realizes is that they aren't even enemies. Taka wasn't bad. She was just angry. I can't help but wonder how many conflicts in our own world would be ended if we just talked and listened to one another in a way where the power was balanced if we truly walked a mile in another person's shoes, if we truly listened and heard the cries of the oppressed especially, if we truly made our focus as Christ intended upon the least of these, how many of the issues in our world would fall away? If I met the guy in person who rejected my apology, I suspect that it is most probable that we would work it out that we would find reconciliation in person that we could never find online. We don't have magical hearts of Tafiti in real life, but we do have the ability every day to reconcile and forgive and to make right. 
to make right the things that have been done wrong, and even in some cases, the things that others have done wrong. So my prayer for us, to wrap this up, is that we will be those agents of change in the world. That we may be the Moanas of our world, that we may be the Christs of our world, seeking out the wrongs that have been done to others and working to make them right. As I said, sometimes these things that have been done wrong are so big and beyond ourselves to such a degree that we can never individually make them right, but how many are within our capabilities? How many are issues that we can solve? How many of us, just if we take a moment and think about it, can name someone that we're still in a disagreement with? What would it take to make that right? What would it take to find the heart of Tefiti and put it back? Matthew 5.23 tells us that if we bring our gift to the altar of God and remember that our sibling has something against us, then we are to leave that gift there and go, that we are to first reconcile and then make the offering. So, friends, be those who work to make it right. Be those who return to those that we have harmed and offer reconciliation. We may not be able to fix the problems of the world. We may not be able to change things entirely. We may not be able to solve every division or even make right the conflicts that are between us. But we can always start. We can always love those we would consider enemies. And maybe, in doing so, we will realize that our enemies aren't enemies at all, but rather siblings in Christ. Amen.